Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir and Chaim Aharan. Sorry that we're off a little bit to a late start. We're continuing in the section Mailas Hameskar Venelov, the the great benefit of those who are close to Rabbeinazal, and we're up to the final two paragraphs in this section. Shin Lamed Ches 338, when Rabbeinazal first met Rabbeinazal, which was when Rabbeinazal had moved to the city of Breslov, about when Rabbeinazal was about 30 years old at the time, Rabbeinazal was speaking to his daughter, Adl, about this new student. And Rabbeinazal said to her, what can I tell you about how bright he is, how smart he is? If he were to look at this shul, just glance at it, he could tell you in a moment exa- the exact dimensions, the exact height of the shul and its dimensions. Rav Nelsenzal also spoke to another one of his, a, a student of his at the time, who was Rabbi Yitzchak, the son-in-law of the Travitz Magid, and again was praising Rav Nosenzal. And this Rabbi Yitzchak had not yet seen this new student, Rav Nosen. And Rabbi Nosen said to him, if you'll look at him, you'll be able to just see on his face the incredible humility that this person has. He, he considers himself like a shtick, a glatschtickle blotter, like a piece of dirt. And sure enough, this Rabbi Yitzchak a short while ago went out into the market and he, was, and he saw a young man walking very, very quickly, dressed in, very, in expensive clothing, like he came from a wealthy family. And yet Rabbi Yitzchak saw his face and he immediately recognized that this was the person that Rabbi Nezal was speaking about. He saw, he was able to see in his face a, a deep humility, despite coming from an aristocratic family, a wealthy family, he was able to see how the person considered himself very, very small. The final paragraph in this section, Shin Lametes 339, <clears throat> Rabbeinazal said that in the future, the entire, all Jews will be Breslev. In Yiddish, he said, "Lo said Lavoi that the ganze Welt sein Breslov Hasidim. The entire world will be Breslov Hasidim." And he said, "There's a medrash that says, based on a pasuk in the Navi, where the pasuk says, "Vinosati lochem leiv basar," that in the future I will give you a heart of flesh. The medrash says, "Al tikri basar ela boiser." The word basar means flesh. The word boiser means <coughs> a happy heart. That each and every person will be happy for every other person, for whatever every other person has. And the words lave, boiser, basar is spelled with a sin, which is like a shin. The word boiser is spelled with a samach. And when you put the words lave, they're both pronounced exactly the same. When you put the words lave boiser together, it spells the word breslov. And Rabbein Zal said this sort of obviously as, as a joke, something humorous. 
and yet with truth to it. In addition, we know that before Rabbeinazan moved to the city of Breslov, he was living in the city of Zlatopolia, and he lived there for about two years, and Rabbeinazal had said that the two years that he was living there were torturous. It was like walking on eggshells, walking on broken glass throughout the whole time he was there. That was unfortunately when the Machloikas from the Shpola Zeta started and, and was at its height. And Rabbeinazal and the people of the city, most of the people of the city, did not respect, did not show proper respect. Rabbeinazal really endured tremendous suffering during those two years that he was there. So when Rabbeinazal was leaving the city of Zlatopolia to move to Breslov, his student, the Trovet Samagid, had a dream when he was sleeping in the sukkah, and he was dreaming about the fact that Rabbeinazal was making this move from Zlatopolia to Breslov. And in the dream he saw that this is alluded to in the Pasuk, Vahasiroisi Lev Ho'even Mibsarchem, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And again, Hashem says, and I'll replace it with the heart of flesh. So the Trovet Samagid was thinking, we know that regarding stone, there's a Pasuk by Shlomo HaMelech, when it describes the great wealth and glory that the Jewish people had, during the time that Shlomo HaMelech was ruling, and it says there, Vayitain Shloimoi Esakesef Ko'avonim, that Shlomo HaMelech was giving silver, he was giving money like stones, as if it was stones, meaning he was pouring money without any, any limits. He had tremendous wealth, and when he wanted the Beis HaMikdash to be built, he hired the workers, and they were given tremendous amount of money to do it speedily and properly. So the wording there is that Shlomo HaMelech gave the, the money, the kesef, like avonim. And here the Pasuk says, I will remove from you this heart of, st- this heart of stone from your basar. So the Trovet Samagid thought, Zlatopolia, the term Zlati, Zlati was a, a, the currency in Polish Russia at the time. And Zlati meant gold. So, so the, the city's Latipolia was named that because of the abundance of gold and wealth in the city. So the Pasuk says there, I'll remove the, the, from the Lev Ho'even and replace it, Venosati Lochem Lev Bosar, and give you a heart of flesh. Again, Lev Bosar being similar to the word Breslev. And the Trovet Samagid saw in this Pasuk a rem as a hint that Rabbeinazal was leaving the place, the Lev Ho'even, the place of wealth, the city of Zlatopolia, and moving to the Lev Bosar, moving to the city of Breslov. There is a Sefer Koch Ve'or, one of the Breslovist forum, where there's a section in there, written, compiled by Rabbi Avram Barab Nachman, one of the giants of Breslov of the previous generation, and there he shows also Ramozim, Ramozim Gamatrioyes, in the word Breslov, we know the Gemara says, Rabbi Meir Dayek Bishmo, that the name, a name has a lot in it. And when we talk about the names of cities, the Jewish names of cities, obviously there is tremendous significance to it. I remember I was just learning a few hours ago with a friend, I was learning about the city of Yerushalayim. And Yerushalayim is like the, the, 
the, the city of Hashem in the world, the city of the kingdom of Hashem, Ir David, as it's called, the city of David HaMelech. And I remember hearing from my Rebbe, Rav Rosenfeld, that it's brought that the name Yerushalayim, the word Yerushalayim, as it's spelled many times in the Navi, Yud, Reish, Vav, Shin, Lamed, Mem, without another Yud there, contains in it Hashem's name Elokim in all three forms. What do we mean by three forms? The letters Yud, Vav, Lamed, Mem, Yud is 10, Vav is 6, is 16, plus Lamed, plus 30, is 46, plus Mem, another 40, is 86, is Bigimatria Elikim, Hashem's name Elikim. The Reish of Yerushalayim is the Achorayim of Elokim. When you write Hashem's name Elokim as Aleph, then Aleph Lamed, then Aleph Lamed Hey, then Aleph Lamed Hey Yud, then Aleph Lamed Hey Yud Mem. That's one of the forms of the format of Hashem's name. When you write it in that way, it adds up to 200, which is the letter Reish. The Shin of the word Yerushalayim is the, the name Elokim Bemilui, when you spell each letter as a word, the way it's pronounced. So the letter Aleph, you would, you would spell it Aleph Lamed Pei. Lamed, you would spell it Lamed Mem Dalid. When you write out Hashem's name Elokim in that way, it's Bigimatria 300, the letter Shin. So that the word Yerushalayim has in it this name of Hashem, the name of Elokim, which is a name of Malchus, kingdom, there's a Pasuk, Veloikim Malki Mikedem. Hashem is our king from way back. This name, the, the city of Yerushalayim, has in it this name of Hashem in its three different formats. And we know again that a name has important significance to it. Any questions, please? Now we begin a new section in Chaim Aran. This section is entitled Mailas Toirosoi Usforov Hagdoishim. The greatness of Rabbeinazal's Sforim, his books, and his teachings. Rabbeinazal once said, The world hasn't really tasted me at all, meaning, if people would hear one Torah of mine, one Torah discussion of mine, with its song and with its dance, the people would go into a state of ecstasy, literally. And Rabbi Nezal said, when I say the world, I mean even the animals and the vegetation, everything in the world, would go into this ecstatic state if they were to hear one of my Torahs with its song and with its dance, from the incredible pleasure that this would evoke. And Rav Sal says it's possible to understand this. A person who has an appreciation for music, for songs and for dancing when it's done on a really high professional level, <coughs> When a person sings, again, the right type of song, it, it can draw the heart of a person listening to the song 
and sometimes a person can reach an incredible high, a person who becomes connected, deeply connected to the right kind of song, can, can go into a, a spiritual state through the different, different parts of the song and, and each and every single one of the movements within the song. It has the ability, depending on the nature of the song, whether it's a happy song or whether it's what we call blues, a, a, a sad type of song, it has the ability to arouse a person's soul, the spiritual soul inside of a person, and to draw the person. Especially, especially, a person who also knows how to dance, a type of dance that's paralleling the song. Because, again, Rav Nassim now expounds on this, and he says, we know that each and every single part of the body, the hands, the head, the different parts of the body, all can have a connection, a direct connection, and parallel the different notes, the different parts of a song, of a tune. And a person who knows, a person who knows and understands the song on its highest, on its proper level, and the person knows about dancing, about all the different movements with every single part of the body, how these movements relate and connect to different parts of the song, that person could see the incredible parallel between these things. And then he went on to say, Rav Nosanzal goes on to say, especially if the song has words to it, the proper words, and the words in the song, the words and the tune are all matched up perfectly. We know sometimes a writer writes a song and you hear that the tune and the words and they're sort of, you can sort of see how they try their best to connect the two. And sometimes you'll hear a song, you'll hear a, a set of words matched up to a song where you see like, wow, this is literally like a match made in heaven where the words and the tune, the song from the words are, are so perfectly matched, like it seems like this is the only proper real song for these words, whether it's words from Tehillim or words from other parts of Torah. And so too, Rav writes, regarding the dance, that a person, again, who's really skilled in dancing and matching a dance, we know sometimes there are women, especially, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that familiar with this, I've heard about this, that again, there are schools where the girls put on a performance of song combined with dance, and people that are really knowledgeable in this, the dance, the whole spirit of the dance, and the way the dance is being done, can sometimes fit together beautifully with the song and the music that's accompanying it. And when a person hears that type of song, with the words, with the dance, together with it, and it's all blending together perfectly well, a person hearing this can have a feeling literally of ecstasy, as if they feel like their soul is going to leave them from, from the, the incredible pleasure. And Rav Nassar writes, this pleasure is like the, the highest pleasure that could be. There isn't any pleasure higher than this in, in the world. <clears throat> and a person who hasn't experienced this doesn't know what, what pleasure really is all about. Because even in Olam Haba, in the future world, 
not everybody is going to be zoicha to hear this and to, to see this. But rather, like the Gemara says, a person who put in the proper effort during the six days of the week, and especially on Friday, that person gets to enjoy Shabbos. A person who puts in the proper effort while they're in this world will be able to experience and really enjoy the pleasures of Olam Haba. And those that are standing around the person that's experiencing this, they don't know what to do. They know they have an incredible yearning from this tremendous pleasure, and, and the person who's generating this is standing in the middle, and he's generating this song with the words, with the dance. Ragnarsson Zal says here, understand, try to understand what we're saying here, because it's, it's impossible really to, to put this into words. But rather, a person who knows, who really knows about music and dance, can, can get a little bit of an inkling of the incredible pleasure and yearning and ecstasy that a person would experience if they were to experience all of this coming together to the point where the person would feel as if they're going to pass out from joy. We know that in, in Sichai Saran, Rabbi Nezal once told over that there's an angel in heaven, that this angel has a thousand heads, each one of these thousand heads has a thousand tongues, and each tongue has the ability to generate a thousand musical notes. We know we hear about an orchestra, a big orchestra with many different instruments, and if they're really good, a person hears this sometimes, and it's an incredible, incredible high feeling hearing a fabulous orchestra, a 120-piece orchestra, blending the music and everything blending together. Picture what we're talking here about a billion musical notes coming out at one time. And Rabbi Nezal said, this is the angel that sings Mizmor Shir Liyoy Mashabas in heaven. So Rabbi Nezal was familiar with high levels of music and song. And again, Rabbi Nezal said that the Torah, the, the Torah can be taught. The Torah, we know the, the four basic components of the Torah are the letters, then there are the crowns on the letters, on nine of the letters. Then there's the vowels underneath the letters. And then there's the tamim, the musical notes. And we're told that the tamim, the musical notes, are the highest level in Torah. The lowest level, spiritually, of the Torah is the letters. Higher than that is the crowns. Higher than that is the vowels. And highest of all is the musical notes, the tamim, as they're called. We know that in the Beis Hamikdash, we're told that everything, all the activity in the Beis Hamikdash, the sacrifices that were brought, were accompanied by the singing and musical instruments of the Levian. So song and music play a very, very important role in, in Yiddishkeit, in Yiddishkeit and Torah. We know that when it comes to tefillah, there's the concept of a baltfilah, a chazan, people who are gifted who have a, a beautiful voice and people who know the proper, who know exactly the types of songs and the, the style of the davening, of the Shabbos davening, the Musaf, the, the songs, and especially the holiday davening, the davenings of Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, 
the, the songs of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, we know that it's possible the right kind of chazan, with the right kind of tune, with the right kind of accompaniment, can bring people to an incredible, deep, high-level connection to Hashem. We've mentioned in the past, the Zohar HaKadosh says that Leah was the wife of Yaakov Avinu, and when Leah had her third son, Levi, she said, Now my husband will be deeply attached to me. The regular pshat of that is that she knew that Yaakov Avinu was destined to have 12 sons from four wives. When she had her third son, she understood that she had filled her quota. But the Zohar Kodesh says that this term, this deep attachment, is associated with the fact that Levi, the Levium, were the ones who did the singing and music in the Beis Hamikdash. And the Zohar Kodesh says there's nothing that brings a deep spiritual attachment and connection like song and music. Now, Rav Nosenzal continues still on this topic, and he says, <clears throat> whoever is closer, whoever is closer to the tzaddik that's able to generate this Torah with the song and with the dance, that person, for them, all the physical movements that, that relate to it would come more naturally. As we know again, in song and music and dancing, a person who has a better appreciation, a better understanding of it, by them, they could be much, much more of a natural in being able to perform in this type of a setting. Now, Rav Nosenzalayetz, that in Yiddish, he quotes the exact words in Yiddish that Rav said about this. When Rav said, they should hear one Torah of mine, mit dem nigen, with the song, in mit ein tanz, and with the dance, wollt die ganze Welt ausgegangen. The entire world would go into a state of ecstasy from hearing it. And then Rabbi Nassau said, what did I say? So Rabbi responded exactly the words that Rabbi Nassau said. And Rabbi Nassau responded, what do you think? Even the animals, even the chayos, even the blades of grass would all be part of this experience. We know that Rabbi Nassau had said that it's very, very special for a person to go out to speak to Hashem among the trees, among the flowers, among the grass, because they also speak to Hashem. And when a person's tefillah joins with their tefillah and comes in, again, it's a type of like an orchestra, a whole musical ensemble that's going up to Hashem. Now, Rabbeinazal is, I heard it said over in the name, in the name of Rabbeinazal, that he said on Rosh Hashanah, that I have a song to sing in the future, which will be the Olam Haba of all the Tzadikim and Hasidim. That'll be their pleasure in Olam Haba. And Rav Nassim Zal said 
that if a person takes a look at the last shear that Rabbi Nezal gave in his life, chapter 8 in the second half of Likut Imran, Tikut where Rabbi Nezal speaks there about a song that will be played on a harp of 72 strings. This is based on something in the Zohar Kodesh, and also the last story of Sipurim Isis, which Rabbi Nezal told about the seven betlers, where he speaks there about the ten types of song, which can cure ten types of poisons. All of that is obviously related to this discussion. Any questions? Reb Nussin, could Reb Nussin briefly review the times that we are recommended to clap and oh, to to to, to dance uh, to dance and to clap uh, in the course of the week uh, after tefillah and when in tefillah uh, we're supposed to it's okay to clap from from joy is my understanding that's when we clap exactly exactly a person can do it in any part of the tefillah generally. Although, for example, in Shmon Esrei, during the silent Shmon Esrei, a person should be careful not to make any noise. A person can clap their hands together without generating any noise that could possibly disturb anyone near them or anything like that. But this clapping is an expression of the joy the, and, and the feeling of putting one's whole self into their tefillah. Definitely. A question in the chat about the definition of the word boiser, I believe that the, the translation there in the book Tzadik is correct, that each person will be happy with the, that sometimes a word in Hebrew can have multiple meanings depending on the context. The next paragraph, Shin Memalef 341, Rabbein said, there were times when Rabbein would reveal incredible, incredible Torah, very deep Torah, incredible explanations of different things in, in the Torah. And then there were times when Rabbein would say, I don't know anything. I know nothing. And Rabbein said that during those times when he's not able to say any Torah at all, in some ways that's a greater Chiddush than when he is able to say Torah. Referring to times when he was prepared, he was already prepared to expound, to, to reveal great, great Chidushim, and then suddenly it disappears. It's all forgotten completely, and he doesn't remember anything at all. And, and blank, the, the registers go blank completely. And not even a song, Rabbi Nezal says, at that point in time, he can't even think of a song. But rather, everything is completely forgotten, going blank completely. And, and Rabbi Nezal said, this is, this is something incredible. And Rabbi Nezal said, there were several times that I heard this from him, that there were times that he would say, I don't know anything at all right now even though a short while before that, a few minutes before that, he had revealed incredible, deep, profound things. And we know that this is a certain concept of hischachus, a certain concept of a person, again, clearing the registers in their mind, clearing their mind completely, 
in order to, to prepare themselves to be able to receive a whole new light from Hashem. Rav Nelson Zal tells us in the Kutei Alochis that in the, in the Torah, the last line of the entire Torah, all the way at the end of Chumash Dvorim, the last Pasuk in Parshas Vezoy Sabrocha, speaks about the great, great, awesome things that Moshe Rabbeinu did before the eyes of the entire Jewish people. And the Gemara says, what is this referring to? What did he do before the eyes? The Gemara says the fact that he broke the Luchos. When Moshe Rabbeinu came down from heaven bringing that first set of Luchos of tablets, and he saw the people involved in the golden calf in idol worship, he broke the Luchos. Rav Zal asks, why would the Torah end off on such a horrible note, mentioning such a terrible, terrible episode in the history of the Jewish people? And he answers and he explains, we know the Gemara tells us that when Moshe Rabbeinu broke the Luchais at that time on the 17th of Tammuz, that's when forgetting came into the world. Up until then, there was no shikha. People would remember everything they learned. From that point on, just like when the Luchais were broken, the letters that were inscribed in them flew away. This is the wording of the Gemara. The letters went back up to heaven and the stone became just stone without these holy letters in it and therefore it shattered. So the Gemara says that's when shikha, when a person forgets, it means again the letters that are inscribed in the person's memory suddenly disappear. They disappear. So Rav Zal says, we know that when we finish the Torah, when we get to the end of the Torah, what do we do? We start again. We start from the beginning. We make a new beginning. And he says, in order for a person to make a fresh start, they have to be able, to a degree, to forget the past, to clear the registers, as if the person doesn't know anything, as if they're starting from zero. When a person has that kind of attitude, then they're thirsty, person who feels that they have a lot of knowledge, and now I'm going to have a lot, I'm going to learn something else, an additional piece of knowledge. They have much less enthusiasm and thirst and, and, and desire and excitement and, all, and passion, all kinds of good feelings towards it, versus a person who, starting from nothing, have nothing at all, and now I'm starting to learn, now I'm starting to receive knowledge, it's a whole different level. This is why we, that the Torah ends on that note, and, and from there we make a fresh start. And by Rabbeinazal, they saw this, Rabbeinazal said that his whole life is his chachus. It's all about making a new beginning all the time. And in, at certain times, when he wanted to make this new beginning, it required blanking out, erasing everything momentarily, temporarily, in order to make a whole new fresh start. Question in the chat regarding <coughs> Jewish songs derived from non-Jewish songs and non-Jewish songs in general. The answer is, Rabbi Nezal speaks about this in chapter 3 in Likud Imran. Rabbi Nezal says that a person who hears singing or music coming from a, 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 from a source of someone who is not religious, <coughs> a person who's, who's singing or playing this music, not for Hashem's honor, 
but they're doing it either for their own honor or for money, just for the sake, that kind of thing. Rabbi Nezal said that that kind of song and music can be harmful to a person. Whereas a person hearing song and music coming from a religious source, where it's being done to show respect for Hashem, or respect for a, a Jewish event, a wedding, something like that, and it's being played by people who believe in Hashem, people who observe mitzvahs, that can have a tremendous good effect in being, bringing people close to Hashem. There is a chapter on the Kutimran where Abenazal says that there were times when the Jews wanted to defeat an enemy nation, enemies that were, that were putting them in danger, etc., and one of the ways that they did it was by singing their song, singing their song as a means of being able to bring about their downfall. There's a chapter in Likud Imran where Rabbi Nezal speaks about this. I believe it's chapter 27, 27, if I'm not mistaken, Likud Imran, where Rabbi Nezal quotes the Pasuk, B'Shamoy Esri Nosam, Vayar Batsar Esri Nosam, by hearing their song. The next paragraph, Shin Membeis. Rabbein, as I said, we find in the Gemara, often when there are two rabbis discussing a topic, and one rabbi bases his opinion on a particular pasuk, and the other rabbi bases his opinion on a different pasuk. And Rabbein, as says, each one of these has the place from where he begins his analysis of this topic, of this discussion. And based on that beginning, based on the, the Pusik or the source from which this rabbi is drawing his, his, his Torah, that will determine, that will define the whole path of the Torah that that rabbi is following in that particular discussion. The other rabbi, who's starting from a different Pusik, he has a whole different sequence based on where he's starting from, because each and every single one of them, based on his connection to the Torah, based on where he begins, that will determine exactly the whole order of the Torah that he's presenting. And if Tana A were to try to approach from the Pasuk of Tana B, he would not be able to take from there, because each person has to take and receive from his place. But Rabbi Nezal went on to say that, that he has the ability to start from any place, from all places. We know that there's a concept similar to this. There's a short chapter on the Kutimran where Rabbi Nezal, it tells us there that the, the, the Magid, the Mizritcha Magid, who was one of the closest students of the Baal Shem Tov, who took over, it, over after the Baal Shem Tov, at one point, his students came to him and told him that there's a certain very wealthy person who opposes the Mezrich, the, the Magid, and his students opposes his followers. And the Magid told his students, I want you to try to make every effort to bring him to me and to be Makari of him. And I want you to be Mispalal for this, to really pray to Hashem to succeed at this. And sure enough, they did. <clears throat> and they succeeded in bringing this person to the Magid, 
and he became close, he became a follower of the Mizritcha Magid. And a short while afterwards, he started losing his wealth. His wealth started going down in a substantial way. And the Mizritcha Magid commented about this, that, that Chochma, wise knowledge of Torah, high-level knowledge of Torah, of Hashem, and wealth are in opposite places. We know the Gemara says a person who wants Chachma, when they're davening Shmon Esrei, they should lean towards the right, towards Doroim, towards south. If a person wants wealth, they should lean towards the left, towards north. So the Magid said, we see from this that these two are in opposite places. So therefore, they can't go together. It's either this or that. And then Rabbeinazar went on to say, however, if a person is to a real high level of humility, where the person considers themselves nothing, nothing is not in the right and not in the left. Nothing is nowhere. Nothing, you can't say about nothing that it's over here and not over there. It could be everywhere. And, th- and through that, the person could be zeichet to what the Gemara calls shtei shulchanos, two tables. They could be zeichet to have wealth, the, the great wealth, and the chachma. I'm, I'm suggesting this as a possibility. Could be that this is what Rabbi Nezal was referring to over here. That when a tzaddik is zeichet to bitul, to, to a level, an, a high level of humility, then there's no, there's no definition. The pra- he's not limited to a particular place that he can only draw from here or from there. He can draw from anywhere, that concept of anywhere. The next paragraph, <clears throat> Shin Mem Gimel, 343. Rabbein said that had my Sefer Likute Maran not been published, not gone out to the world, it's possible that there would have been something completely different. Meaning, Rabbein said he had a deep desire many times <clears throat> to write a, a definitive writing on the Shulchan Aruch, on Hebrew law, explaining each and every single law in the Shulchan Aruch and giving a final decision in those cases where there's conflicting opinions, giving a clear, definite, final opinion as to which one we, sh- we follow. However, he said, now that my Sefer, now that the Likut Imran has gone out to the world, that will not happen. And Rabbi Nezal went on to say, that for a person to write chidushim, clarifications on Gemara, on Toisvis, on the revealed parts of the Torah, is much easier. <clears throat> and he said that there are many people that don't really know and really understand the derech of those chidushim, those new revelations within the revealed part of the Torah. However, a person who does know it, for them it's relatively easy to come out with chidushim on Gemara, on Halacha, those kind of things. However, the person must be completely knowledgeable in the 13 formulas of the Torah. 
the Bryce of Rabbi Shmuel, which we say in the morning at the end of Korbanos, before Psuke de Zimria, that there are 13 formulas by which we expound the Torah. A person would need to be very knowledgeable in those 13 formulas in order to be able to bring forth proper chidushim in Gemara, in Halacha, in those areas. Hmm. A question in the, in the chat, how does clapping remove harsh decrees? And is the clapping of audiences in the other nations, for example, at a sports event or theater, is that exerting a negative influence? First of all, regarding how clapping removes harsh decrees, there's a chapter in Likut Imran, chapter 10 in Likut Imran, which has a, an elaborate, clear explanation on this topic. It's too long for us to go into right now, but you could take a look there. It's towards the middle, the middle of that chapter in Likut Imran, where Abenazal goes into an explanation based on the Zohar Kodesh, showing how clapping of the hands and dancing, when it's being done, Bikdusha, when it's being done at a Jewish celebration, a kosher Jewish celebration, or when it's being done in the context of a holiday, celebrating a holiday, that that affects a, a, an elimination, sweetening of decrees, an elim- elimination of decrees. When the clapping, we know that applause, many people aren't aware of this. There are times that people get together for a celebration on Shabbos, a, a simcha, a bar mitzvah, a sheva brachas, when people applaud after a person makes a speech, as far as I know, that's forbidden. That's forbidden on Shabbos or on Yontif. But clapping to a song, clapping to a song, there there are opinions. There are opinions in halacha that say a person is not permitted to do it on Shabbos or on Yontif. And many times you'll see people do different things. There are people, uh, litvishit people, who when they clap on Shabbos, they'll clap not not str- the normal way of clapping, but they'll reverse the hands, things like that, to make a shinui. My Rebbe, Rav Rosenfeld, who was a Paisek, said that even though a person will see possibly in the Mishnabrura or some other Paiskim that, that hold like this, there are other Paiskim, Hasidish Paiskim, qualified halacha authorities, who say that a person is allowed to clap on Shabbos, for the Chodoidi or Kel Odoin in the in, in accompanying singing on Shabbos. Does that include like banging on a table? Banging on a table? I'm I'm not sure. I'd rather not. You know, the, a type of drumming. Have to see what what the halacha says about that. I'd like to hold it here for now. Wishing everybody a wonderful week. We're in Ella now. We're closing in on the end of the year. The end of the year, Tovshin Pei Gimel, should be zeichet to end the year on a happy note. Hashem should give Yeshuas and Simchas to all of Klal Yisrael, and we should be zeichet. Rabbi Nezal says that the, his his own passion and enthusiasm for Yiddishkeit he got from stories of tzaddikim. By reading about Rabbi Nezal, Rabbi Nezal students, it should fill us with enthusiasm and excitement for for Yiddishkeit for serving Hashem. And be to see the final simcha, the coming of Moshiach, the Gula Shlema, Bimhera Biamenu, Amen Viamen.